Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. Wedding Cake by Jeannie Patrick returned from that first Gulf War a changed person. He didn't appear to be the same man who tracked me down on New Year's Eve to ask him to marry him over the phone. He'd been gone for two months by then, and that sweet smell of vanilla and chicken was already fading from my room. I wore his shirts to bed while he was gone, but that bright flash born from the long nights of takeout boxes of roast chicken and sharing books and making mixtapes and over countless hours of talks of a vague, far-off future was already cooling. But when he called from the base in California after all his wisdom teeth had been pulled out and asked me to commit to him forever, and on the eve of his overseas flight, what do you say to someone going off to war but, yes, of course I'll marry you. I mean, I don't hardly know you at all, and you've been gone almost as long as we've known each other, but I'll marry you. Five months later, he returned to my room, as I had moved him out of his apartment while he was overseas. Everyone in our friends group was so excited he was back. Except I didn't feel all that excited. Proximity was great and all, but did little to fix all the other problems that go along with living with someone you barely know. He didn't have, nor did he want, a job. He spent all the money I had socked away for us while he was gone on an expensive bike and an electric guitar. He drank every night and smoked all the weed and never showed up anywhere on time. He spent his days half drunk and almost passed out in my bed, the room smelling like sour sugar and rotten oranges when I came home from work, and the shirts and dirty laundry would be in a pile at the foot of the bed, and he'd be gone for the night. I had been working as a secretary at the university ever since my father let his girlfriend Linda fire me from the landscaping company in November while he was working on a project in Antigua. When I called to complain about how Linda had fired all of the crew within two weeks of his departure, he said she must have had a good reason and that the phone call was costing a fortune, and he hung up. Patrick was called up and headed off to war just a week before I had started my new job as a technical secretary in the geology department. My father's entire staff ended up taking him to court for wrongful termination, and we all won unemployment compensation. All the guys that worked for him, though, all those guys who worshipped him, never worked for him again. I'm not sure they even ever saw him again. He never talked about it when he got back. I was now making enough money at Brown without having to commute four hours a day, so when Patrick came home a jerk, I had choices. I tracked him down at his favorite dive bar to tell him so. I gave him the old shape up or ship out speech that my mother had coached me on over the phone, and even though Patrick's eyes were glassy and unfocused, he chose to come home with me. The engagement, however tenuous, was back on. We got an apartment together away from the beautiful Victorian duplex with the great view of the city over to the Blackstone neighborhood, right by Swan Point Cemetery. Patrick got a job at the university, too, as a sous chef at the faculty club and picked up some work 
at the weekly newspaper writing a column on rock and roll. And at the end of the summer, we pulled our resources for a teeny engagement ring to make it official. And then we began planning the wedding. It seemed the thing to do now that Patrick had straightened out. And he did ask first, and I felt obligated to put my money where my mouth was, so to speak. So I shopped for a wedding gown by myself. The bridal shop ladies looking past me for my sister or my mother or my best friend, as all the other brides brought entourages. I was left on my own in back dressing rooms, struggling in and out of floofy white confectionery dresses with piles of netting perched precariously on my messy hair. I stared at myself in the full-length mirrors that surrounded me and wondered, what the hell am I doing? But sometimes it's easier to just go forward than go back, so that's what I did. I bought a dress off the rack at the dress shop recommended by one of my Irish aunties in Hartford because I didn't want to order one. In the time it took for a dressmaker to get it to me, anything could happen. But if I had the yards and yards of Italian silk taffeta, hand-sewn with iridescent sequins and pearls and 100 silk-covered buttons down the back hanging in my closet, perhaps I'd keep on the path. And I did. With our eyes set straight forward, we sent out engagement notices, picked a wedding date, chose invitations, and booked a church. Patrick was helpful, agreeing with everything my mother and I put forth and even following me around the department store, offering suggestions on cookware and knives as we registered for wedding gifts. Three months before the wedding, almost all the planning was done. My sister Kay had helped with the menu, and we had gotten quite a deal because the chef at the beach club, where the Bullocks had actually sponsored us, was a friend of hers. A family friend agreed to tent bar, and we bought the beer and wine at cost. My father arranged for all the flowers and hanging baskets and decorations at the garden center where he bought all his plants and where Mr. Kitty had come from. The last little details, details were nailed down, and a honeymoon trip was put off in favor of frugality. The ivory linen invitations were stamped and mailed to 100 of our closest family and friends, and a wedding announcement was written up in anticipation of the event. The only tasks left were to arrange for a wedding cake and show up at the church on the right day. With the exception of the neatly pressed wedding clothes hanging in the darkened closets, all of the details of the reception were taken care of by friends in the barter system, and the cake would be no exception. Kay's husband's sister was a baker, and she often worked for my father's landscaping company when she was between jobs or rehab. Like many of his employees, and just like her older brother, Jeannie was an on-again, off-again drug addict and heavy drinker. Jeannie's partner, Lisa, was a gentle, sweet woman who was also a baker, and the two of them were contacted over a case of rolling rocks and several sea breezes at a bar in Middletown to make our wedding cake. It was to be a white cake with raspberry and lemon filling, several tiers, with a cascade of sugar violets spilling down from the top tier all the way to a puddle of violets along the bottom of the cake. There would be no plastic man and wife perched stiffly at the top. Only violets, not roses or freesia or gardenias or orchids or daffodils or lilies of the valley or lilacs or peonies. If you cannot do violets, I said, I cannot get married. The day came in mid-May. Cloudy, chilly, threatening rain, and I was dressed early. And Gordy drove me in his car the two miles to the church, where years before Mom had been the secretary, and where Kay was married, and where I had hunted for Easter eggs as a much smaller person. 
Gordy walked me up the stairs and kissed my cheek and handed me off to my father, who shook his hand, and I waited, chilled in my gigantic but surprisingly lightweight dress, for Dad to finish his cigarette, rub off the ash, and put the butt in his morning suit jacket as we walked in through the heavy blue doors. I looked several times behind me as I stood in the vestibule waiting for the right time in the music, and then again as I walked down the aisle. I looked to see who would burst in through the doors that closed behind me and stopped me from getting married. No one did, and as I stood at the altar, my hands shaking so much that my bouquet of spring flowers rustled during prayers, I wondered who had my keys and whether my car was parked outside. Should I feign lightheadedness or just run from the room? I never moved my head, but my eyes found an open window in the church, and I breathed in the fresh air I imagined coming through. And then, suddenly, I was married, and the congregation clapped, and I was turned around and moved back down the aisle as though I was floating through the great heavy doors to the stone steps into the rain outside. Wedding Cake by Jeannie Jeannie died in her bathtub in Florida several years ago. She had some kind of drug-induced seizure and drowned. I never got the recipe from her, but cake is simple, especially white wedding cake. It's the violets that are so hard. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com.